Good morning, church. Please turn with me. For the second to last, second to last time, I'm going to ask you to please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter, we're going to be in chapter 5, 1 Peter 5, verses 1 to 5. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Whichever version you have is just fine. Believe it or not, we've been preaching through the book of 1 Peter since last October, actually. And uh, this next week is going to be our final week in this book, Lord willing. And uh, then after that, we're... uh, In case you're wondering where we're going, we're kind of overdue to be back in the Old Testament. And so we are going to jump into the book of Judges. And we are going to spend, my goal is to get us through the book of Judges in 11 weeks. Everyone say, yeah, right, Pastor Mike. Hey, you don't believe in me? We can do that. 11 weeks, we're going to go through the book of Judges. I'm super excited. Judges has some of the weirdest stories in the whole Bible. And I'm really excited to dive in. I'm especially excited about the story about Ehud. If you know that story, you know what I'm talking about. If you don't, that's a great family, great one uh, for you families to do in uh, family devotions this week. The story of Ehud, especially if you, if you have little boys, they're going to love that one. But uh, we're going to be in the book of Judges. And really excited about that. But the Lord is not yet done with us. In 1 Peter, we have some more things we need to learn, so let's pray, and then we'll see what he has for us this morning. Please bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, God, you are good, and we are excited um, about what you're doing. Lord, we um, thank you for your word, God, as we even uh, think about the rain coming down this morning. Uh, As the rain nourishes uh, dry crops, we know that we need the nourishment of your word, and so we pray that your word would fall on us like rain this morning that we would be refreshed, that we would be encouraged, that we would be spiritually built up in this place, Lord. Do a mighty work in us, God. We need your help. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I had a uh, unique opportunity on Friday night. Alan McCorkle invited me. He said, do you want to go to Meat Fest? And I said, yes. And then he started to explain to me what it was. I said, you stop right there, Alan. You had me at Meat Fest. I'm going no matter what it is. But uh, it's uh, uh, Cornerstone Church down in Westfield uh, puts us on every year. And it's a men's event. And we went down to kind of see what it was all about and maybe steal some ideas. I'm all about stealing good ideas from other churches and implementing them here. And so we went, and it was a lot of fun. It was in, Meat Fest was, in, in fact, an apt name for it. I'm still recovering a little bit. But uh, it was really neat. And uh, but I had a, a unique thing happen to me during that uh, time. That hasn't really happened to me before. We, it was in a room uh, a little smaller than this one. It was filled with, I think, over 200 guys, and uh, they had this time of worship, and, and the band was really gifted, and it was really cool to hear 200 men, over 200 men, just lifting up their voices and hearing the, especially the voices of the men in that room, and I loved it, and I enjoyed that time. We even sang some of my favorite songs, and yet there was something in me that my first kind of response to this worship time was was almost like this homesickness, like, I can't wait for worship at Rock Prairie on Sunday. That was my first thought going through this worship service. And I was wondering why I had that thought, because it wasn't like the skill of the band. They were very skilled. It wasn't the songs that they picked. It was not that nobody was singing. Everyone was singing loudly. And, and what hit me, and upon reflection, was that it was the people 
that I missed worshiping with. I missed worshiping with you. And worshiping with other people, as amazing as it was, just showed me how much I value worshiping with my church family week in and week out. Because as great as worship was, I didn't have the Harpel family singing right behind me worshiping and being able to look over to my right and see the Markins family worshiping the Lord and then I all the whole Salisbury clan and then crane my head and see the friend family worshiping over here like I normally can from my vantage point right here on a Sunday morning and it's just a reminder to me like as it is important to go to church you need to be in church hear that from me but even more important than that is that you need a church family you need to have a church family we need a church family so it's not just enough to go to a church because you like the music or you like the preaching or whatever it is we need to be so invested in in our this community that we are indeed a family and so let me just kind of say that kind of from the front end um, that a that can take a little bit so if you're newer with us like that takes a while for that to develop to be able to meet new people and to get invested in relationship and grow with one another so if that's taken a little bit to develop that's okay but let me just encourage you as your pastor to do everything within your power to make this church your church family maybe take some steps that might be a little bit scary whether that's joining a discipleship group or even just like jumping in to serve right so maybe you've never even been to a rock prairie event and you're very new with us but this car show's coming up maybe it's just a good op- idea for you to say we don't know anyone but we're going to sign up to serve at this and maybe we'll get to know somebody in the process of that i don't know what whatever it is but let me just encourage you to make this church a church family because that is ultimately what it's all about and as and i had a great time on friday night but what that did was reinforce in my mind just how important it is for us to be a church family amen And I say that this morning uh, because our passage this morning is all about what does a healthy church look like. I'm going to ask you a question, and I'm just curious what your answer would be. So think through your answer to this question in your head. If I were to ask you to write this down, what would you say? The question is, what is what does a successful church look like? How do we know if our church is being successful or not? I wonder what your answer to that question is. The truth is, your answer to that question, our answer to that question, is the most important thing in terms of driving the direction of our church. And that's why I think that the passage falling on this that we're talking about falling on this morning is incredibly providential from the Lord. We were supposed to preach this passage like a month and a half before Easter, uh, but that didn't happen because I'm terrible at keeping to a schedule. But there's so much excitement right now at our church. I, I hope you feel it. The last two weeks especially with nine baptisms and then being able to celebrate last week the detour being the road and hearing testimonies from the pastors and just celebrating all that God has done in this place. I am just so, so excited about our church family. And that's why I think it is so important that the text has us stop and answer this question. What is a successful church? There's many different answers that you could have to that question. One answer to that question that I think a lot of people have, a lot of pastors have, whether they would verbalize it and say, this is my goal or not, but one of the answers is simply size, right? 
How big is your church? Is your church growing or not? And man, I'll tell you what, there's been countless books, countless articles, countless like things that you can pay for, that you can get coaching, like how to break the 100 barrier, or the 500 barrier, or the 1,000 barrier in your church. Like how do you continue to grow? And I'm not saying that growth on its face is bad, but I'm also not saying that growth on its face is good. It is possible to grow and grow and grow as a church and yet be completely unhealthy. In fact, a lot of times those things come hand in hand. Let's just be real here. If, if a church is growing like crazy, like all of a sudden the church just like doubles and triples in size, how many people are going to really question the pastor at that point, right? How many people are going to really question like if his heart is in the right place, if his motives are pure, if his character is where it needs to be? You're probably not going to because, well, look, the Lord is certainly blessing him. He's certainly blessing his ministry. And yet that's when things can fester, right, and grow. And that's why you hear just like story after story, just like countless megachurches that just crumble, right? Because even though things looked healthy on the outside, they were not healthy on the inside. And so church growth as the only metric of success, I would say, falls woefully short. So if it's not church growth, then how can you know if your church is successful? Well, there's lots of answers you can give. Maybe financially, right? You could say if the church is, the bottom line's looking good, if we're in a good financial place, then the church is healthy and the church is successful, right? Maybe you look at it through the lens of tradition. Like if our church just continues to do things as we've been doing them in the past, as long as we don't change too much, then we'll be doing the right thing as a church. Or maybe the exact opposite, right? You might say, as long as our church can like, continue to change and keep up with all the cool churches and do what the other churches are doing, that's how we know that we'll be successful. Maybe kids ministry, youth group programs. like I don't know. There's a million different things that you can look at. But I would say that every single one of those falls short. See, I've seen far too many just churches experience rapid growth and then immediately crumble I've also seen many, many examples of faithful pastors preaching the word faithfully week in and week out and loving their congregations and shepherding their congregations well and maybe never experiencing church growth at all. In fact, maybe they see people leaving to go to other churches in town and maybe they have this nagging feeling in the back of their mind like, am I failing in my ministry when they're being faithful to what God is calling them to do. So all that to say is that in this place where we're at right now at Rock Prairie, which I am so excited about, and don't get me wrong about that, we need to be very careful that we define success in the right way. Does that make sense? And my answer to that question is how do we know if we're being successful is very boring. I have a very boring answer to that question, and it's simply this. Biblical faithfulness how biblically faithful is your church? How faithful are you being to God's word? God wants us to be faithful to his word, period. That's what he asks of us. Sometimes faithfulness to God's word makes your church grow like crazy. Sometimes faithfulness to God's word makes your church shrink like crazy. It doesn't matter. 
Whatever happens, we're called to be faithful to God's word. I think God cares much more about that than the number of people in your church on a Sunday morning. And so we are going to, as a church, pursue church health and faithfulness to God's word first and foremost. And so our passage this morning gives us a snapshot, a portrait of what faithfulness to God's word as the church looks like. This is not comprehensive, but this gives us a snapshot of what biblical faithfulness looks like, particularly when it comes to leadership in the church. So this morning is a little bit different. We're talking about leadership in the church. In some ways, I'm preaching to myself and the other leaders of our church, but it's important for us to all be on the same page when we understand what God is asking of our church. So look with me at 1 Peter 5. I'm going to read the whole passage, and then we're going to talk about it. 1 Peter 5, verses 1 to 5, says this, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, Not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. We're going to look at four things this morning. We're going to answer four questions about leadership in the church. First of all, what is an elder? This passage talks about elders. What is an elder? Secondly, what does an elder do? What is an elder called to do in the church? Third, how does an elder lead? In what manner, with what attitudes, is an elder called to lead his church? And then fourth, how does the entire church respond to biblical eldership and biblical authority? So that's where we're going this morning. But first, we're going to ask simply, what is an elder? What is an elder? And very simply, the answer is an elder is a leader of the church. Now, this book is a great book. Uh, It's really helped me out in thinking through these things. It's called Church Elders. It's put out by Nine Marks. Now, there's a book that was written a while ago called Nine Marks of a Healthy Church. And that book really informs the, uh, the metrics that I use to, say, to see how healthy is our church right now. But they have a whole bunch of helpful books on different topics and Nine Marks puts out, and this is one of them, Church Elders, and this is how they define uh, elders, and it's just, I love this, it's very simple. Elders are Jesus' assistants for shepherding his churches. Elders are Jesus' assistants for shepherding his churches. Churches. Now, there's two interesting things about elders in Scripture. First of all, everywhere in Scripture that you see elders being addressed in terms of the leadership of a church, it's always plural, meaning more than one. So leadership in the church was never supposed to all fall on just one guy. We are called to have a plurality of biblically qualified men. There are other chapters in Scripture that give the biblical qualifications of elders. But we're called to have a plurality of biblically qualified men to lead the church, which is such a blessing 
That one person does not task to make all the decisions and to do all the leading and all the shepherding. Y'all don't want that, especially if it's me, okay? That is not what you want. That is a gift to the church when there are a plurality of biblically qualified men to do this work. That's the first interesting thing. It's always plural in Scripture. It's never one. Secondly, this is uh, interesting to me as well, nowhere in Scripture... Does it designate that a paid person, such as like a pastor, would have more authority in the church than an unpaid person who is tasked with shepherding the church as well? So there's no distinction between a pastor being like the guy in charge who's paid to do the ministry and an elder who might be somebody who's a lay person who's uh, exercising authority in the church. It's the same role. In fact, there's three words that are all used in Scripture to describe the same office. Pastor, elder, and overseer. They're used interchangeably with one another, and there's no distinction. So there's no sort of sense of a hierarchy where the paid guy has any more authority than the unpaid person who has also been called to lead in the church. A pastor is an elder, is an overseer, paid or unpaid, staff or non-staff. They're all tasked with shepherding the flock. And we'll talk more about the role of an elder in a minute. But I thought this would be a good and appropriate time for us to take a quick aside and talk about specifically our church. And what does this look like in our church right now? The our church, Rock Prairie Church, is very blessed, extremely blessed to be led by a plurality of godly men who are biblically qualified, both staff positions and lay leaders, who pour out their lives for the sake of ministry to this body. Whether you recognize it or not, there is a plurality of biblically qualified men who are pouring out their lives for ministry to the flock. And in fact, if this wasn't the case, I, there's a good chance I wouldn't have come here in the first place. Like, this was the single most attractive thing about Rock Prairie to me, was when I sat in that room with the leaders of the church, and we did the interview process, and they grilled me, and I grilled them for, I don't know, I think two plus hours it was. I got very sweaty by the end of it. But it was so clear in that time that these men love the church, and they pour themselves out for this body on a regular basis. And in fact, if I'm just even being like a deeper level of gut level honesty to you, like we talked about last week, some of the hard things our church has been through with the detour being the road. But if it wasn't for some of these men walking, linking arms with me, walking hand in hand with me through some of these trials that we've been through, I don't know if I'd still be standing up here today. So I am so, so thankful for the men who lead the body in this way. Love these guys. The way it works right now is that we have pastors and we have deacons. And the pastors are the paid uh, staff and the deacons are the lay leaders. So myself and Pastor Jerry and Pastor David and Pastor Craig are the pastors of Rock Prairie Church. And then these men uh, who we call deacons um, are serving the church in really the same role that the Bible describes that an elder is called to do. You see that? So we have these men who we call deacons, but they're really performing the work of elders. So they're spending their time praying for you, teaching the word in different ways, whether it's through life groups or different avenues like that, and exercising spiritual oversight over this church. They're doing the work that God's word says elders are called to do. They're called deacons. Now you might be thinking, 
What's the big deal about that? Like, why does it matter what we call them? And you might be, I mean, you're right about that in some sense. Like, this is not an emergency. It's not a, like a, a huge deal. If, I would much, much rather have a group of men functioning as elders, no matter what we call them, than not have the, these men functioning in this way at all. So this is better, but it's just not exactly like biblically what we're called to do. An, an example of this would be like, what if you called me here to be your pastor? I did all the work of a pastor. I preached the word. I shepherded the flock, right? And uh, just did everything that a pastor does. But you all called me Apostle Mike. Like that was just the thing that you call, hey, Apostle Mike. That would be, first of all, kind of weird, right? But it just wouldn't be accurate. I'm not an apostle. An apostle is somebody who was an eyewitness of Christ and who wrote down scripture. That's not me, right? I'm a pastor. I'm functioning as a pastor, and that's why you call me Pastor Mike. Same way in any of your jobs, if you had one t a job title and a job description that didn't match, it wouldn't be the biggest problem in the world, but eventually you would say we should really work this out. And I would just say even more so because we want to be just as faithful as we can to God's word. So the, all that to say, that's where our church is at right now. And this is nothing new to the deacons. This is something that I brought up, in fact, in the, that first interview. And something that Pastor Jerry and I have talked about quite a bit. And we're in agreement in this. And uh, this is something that, uh, this is just where we're at right now. So there's not like a hidden agenda. There's not like a Pastor Mike's trying to fundamentally change everything about our church. There's, there's nothing like that. But we just always, always, always want to be looking at God's word and saying, are we being as biblically faithful as we possibly can? And so that's where we're at. And I let the deacons know before preaching uh, this this morning that I would be addressing this topic. And uh, it's something that we're probably going to talk about in the days and weeks and months and probably years to come. And I don't know what it's going to look like. It's not like we have something we're ready to roll out. This is just where we came across in First Peter. He talks about elders. And so we want to make sure that we're being faithful. And so we'll start to have these conversations, I'm sure. And I just ask for you to pray for us. Pray for us in leadership of the church. But, by, but overall, what I want you to hear from me is that I am so thankful that we have these men who are fulfilling this role right now. No matter what we call them, that is what is the most important. I praise, the God, for, praise God for every single one of these guys. That's where we're at as a church right now. And I just wanted you to kind of know that that's where we're at and that's where we're going. And so just pray for us as we undertake these conversations. So that's an elder. An elder is the leader. Uh, elders are leaders of the church. It's plurality. And they're called to exercise spiritual oversight. So what does an elder do? Like what is the role of an elder? If somebody's considered an elder, what are they called to do? Well, look at verses 1 and 2 again. It says, so I exhort the elders among you, verse 2, shepherd the flock of God, that is among you. I exhort the elders, shepherd the flock of God. This is actually one of those passages in scripture where we see there's no distinction between elder and pastor. The word for shepherd is where we get our English word for pastor. So it's essentially saying, I exhort the elders to pastor the flock of God, the people that are among you. I love this simplicity of it. We're called to shepherd. Shepherd 
the flock. And I love the metaphor of shepherding. We've talked a lot about, especially as we went through John, talked about Jesus being our shepherd. And as pastors slash elders, we are called to be the under shepherds. It is an incredible privilege to be called to shepherd the flock of God. And there's two things you could say a lot about this, but there's kind of two main categories that our responsibilities fall under. And the first is simply to feed the flock. An elder feeds the flock. This is the first job of a shepherd who takes care of sheep, right? Feed the flock. A a shepherd who doesn't feed his sheep is not going to be a shepherd for very long. This is the first question that you have when your kids come to you and say, can I please, please, please get a dog? Who's going to feed it, right? And then the second question, who's going to pick up the poop? And then we could do an extended metaphor comparing that to ministry in the church, but we're not going to go there. Who's going to feed it, right? That's your job as a caretaker to feed the flock. An underfed flock gets sick and dies. So that is my job, first and foremost, above everything else. That is my primary responsibility as your pastor, to feed the flock. And of course, that means being fed by the word of God. The word of God. Man, you don't want me feeding you with anything else, trust me. I could feed you with my own opinions week in and week out, and eventually you would wither up. You wouldn't be getting the nourishment that you need. That is my number one job. That's why I take the preaching of God's word so seriously, because that's what I've been tasked with. That's what I'm called to do, is to preach God's word, to explain what it says and apply it to our lives. It's as simple as that. Explain what God's word says and apply it to our lives. And the moment I move away from explaining what God's word says and applying it to our lives on a a regular basis is the moment when the church is called to stand up and say, you're not doing this right. You need to feed us. That's how God designed it to be. That is my job, to feed the flock. We make no apology for that fact here at Rock Prairie, that everything we do is first rooted and grounded in the God's word and the teaching and explanation of God's word. That's why we practice expository preaching, right? Verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible, which is why we end up on topics just like this one that are so important for us to hear. We let God's word set the agenda and lead us where we need to go. Not just on Sunday mornings either. Every discipleship group, every life group, every men's group, every whatever you want to call it is rooted in God's word first and foremost. And that is why we exist as a church. We need to be doing that. We make no apology about that at all. So we need to be consistently and constantly fed by the word of God. In fact, I wonder if you're, if you're going through maybe a season in your life when you're feeling spiritually dry, I wonder if you are consistently spending time in God's word, being nourished with what you need. It's so important. And that's the first job an elder has is to feed his flock with the nourishment of God's word. And then the second job, and there's a lot of things that fall under this for sure, but is simply to watch over the flock. That's what a shepherd does, feeds the flock and watches over the flock. I love the way that this book puts it. It has a whole chapter. It says, smell like sheep. That's what a shepherd does. He smells like sheep. We have a, a handful of hog farmers in our church, and I know you're good hog farmers, and you know how I know you're good hog farmers is because when I have a meeting with you at the end of the day when you've been in the hog barns, you smell like hogs sometimes, no offense, but if uh, you were a hog farmer who never smelled like hogs, I would question whether or not you were in fact a very good hog farmer, and the answer would be no, and the same is true for shepherding the flock 
of God. The shepherd, the pastor, does not just sit up in his ivory tower. He is with his sheep. He spends time with his sheep. He gets to know his sheep. He loves his sheep. He knows his sheep's fears. He knows their hopes. He knows where they're excelling and when they're, where they're falling short. And he spurs his sheep on to grow in godliness and Christlikeness. That's what a shepherd does. And again, it's not something that I can do on my own. If I was the only one tasked with this, it would fall woefully, woefully short. That's why we need a plurality of biblically qualified men to undertake the work of shepherding the flock, feeding them and watching over them and caring for them spiritually. That is what true, healthy church leadership looks like. That is the role of an elder. Moving on. We're going to have to start moving a little more quickly here. But how does an elder lead? What's an, how, like what, in what manner am I called to, to live out these things? In what way am I supposed to feed the flock and watch over the flock? Well, the passage tells us three things. The first is this. We're called to lead willingly. Willingly. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercising oversight. Not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Now, for any of you with kids, know the difference between somebody being obedient willingly and somebody being obedient under compulsion, right? We have a four-year-old, and there's a lot of this going on. Oh, man, right, stomping the feet. The shoulders get real, like, exaggeratedly slumped over. And Oh, man, right? Like, there's, that is not the kind of attitude that you want your shepherd slash pastor slash elder to have about the role that God has given him. Now, there's some hard days, right? There's some days where you don't really feel like shepherding the sheep. That's just the reality of it. It is a hard, grueling work at times. But at the same time, there should be a willingness that we have to do the work that God has called us to do. We should desire it. And so if you are an elder or a pastor and you've just lost any and all desire any and all willingness to do what God has called you to do, that is not a good place to be. That leads to burnout for you. That leads to bad things for the church and, and, and much more. So first and foremost, a pa- elder slash pastor should lead willingly. But also, that is definitely not the only criteria for an elder. If we said, who wants to be an elder, raise your hand, and we just on its face called all those people up and gave them the task of eldership, that would not be prudent of us to do Elders should lead willingly, but there's more. Second, elders should lead eagerly. End of verse 2. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. We all know stories of pastors who exploit their position for power or pride or money or whatever else. May that not be so. Some people want to be elders, they're willing, but it's because of what they think they can get out of it, right? Maybe just the pride of everyone looking up at them because they're an elder in the church and now you're all going to have to listen to what I say, right? I want to change some things around here and now I can do it because I'm in this position. That's not how an elder is called to lead. An elder is called to lead eagerly, not for shameful gain. Eagerly meaning eager to do what the, the work that the Lord has set out for them to do. We should eagerly seek the Lord's will, not our own gain. Shepherd is called to lead willingly, eagerly, and third, as an example. Verse 3, not domineering over those in your charge, but by being examples to the flock. 
being an example. Being a pastor slash elder doesn't mean you get to come in with guns blazing like bonanza, right? Like I'm going to just change everything around here. I'm going to make every single one of you do what I want you to do. Bang, 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 right? That's not how an elder is called to lead. An elder is called to lead by example, first and foremost, which is way harder, right? We went, I told you we went to this D6 conference in Orlando. The best breakout session that I went to at this conference was called How to Lead D6 Authentically in Your Church. And it was aimed at specifically senior pastors. And D6, remember, is this philosophy that says parents should be the primary disciplers of their kids and their home. It should be first and foremost happening in the home. That's where discipleship takes place in families. And that's a great philosophy And we subscribe to that philosophy 100%. But the leader of this breakout session was saying that a lot of churches, what they've seen over the years, is that a lot of churches have found out about this D6 philosophy, gotten really excited about it, implemented a ton of things in their church to help build up this philosophy in the church, and then a couple years later it just fizzles out and dies. And he's saying, why do you think that is? He said, the reason that that is, is because in the church's excitement to do all these things, the leadership of the church was asking the congregation to do things that they themselves were not practicing in their own homes. Super convicting. He said, if you're going to start a D6 philosophy in your church, if you're going to start to roll things out to your church about how to do this, you need to take a year and do these things only in your homes as pastors and as leadership in the church. And from there, you'll get to start to realize what things work and what things don't and what things are realistic and what things aren't realistic. But if it doesn't start first and foremost in your home as an example, it will never take, a, take off among the church. I thought that was really powerful. That's just true not only of D6, but that's true of everything. In every way that the pastor is called to lead, it's by example. And I say that to you like kind of knees knocking, like that's hard to get up here and say, right? I fail in many, many ways. And praise God for his grace in those areas that I fail. But a pastor, an elder, a leader of the church is not supposed to be just domineering, bowling over everyone in their wake. We are called to lead by example, which is really hard, but it's so much better, and it's worth it. And verse 4 tells us why it's worth it. Verse 4, when the chief, chief shepherd appears, when Jesus comes back, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Eternity with him. Praise God for that. So that's an elder. That's a picture of an elder. It's who he is, what he does, and that's how he's called to lead. So what is the church's response then to biblical leadership in the church? Well, look with me at verse 5. It says, Likewise, you who are younger... Be subject to the elders. So the first response of the church is simply to be subject to the elders' authority, to come up under the authority of the elders. Now, Peter's addressing those who are younger. So does this mean that people who are older don't have to be subject? Yes, it does. So I'm 32, so if you're 31 and under, you have to be subject, but 33 and older, you don't. I hope you know I'm kidding. I'm getting a lot of blank faces right now. 
course not. It's really interesting. I haven't quite figured out why uh, Peter uh, addresses those who are younger. I read some commentaries, and the best theory that I came up with, or that I read, was just that um, because of their unique context as being exiles, kind of being under persecution, it was a lot of the younger people primarily that would have been more likely at the time to buck up under, to, to, to avoid, you know, any sort of leadership and accountability and oversight in their life. So he's specifically addressing the younger people. I don't know exactly why, but we see other places in Scripture. Everyone is called in the church to be subject to the authority of the elders. Now, this is, again, something that I say to you with trembling a little bit because there certainly are example after example after example after example of men who have abused this, right? Spiritual abuse. They abuse their position in the church to get things, people to do things that they want them to do or, or worse, and that is not what we're talking about at all, right? And in fact, if you just, you just have to go back two verses to see the kind of authority, authority that you're called to be subject to. The elders are truly feeding and watching over the flock and doing so willingly and eagerly and as an example to the flock. As you're called to lead by example, the church is called to joyfully submit to that godly and Christ-centered leadership, all the while making sure that elders are continually fulfilling their obligations to live holy lives as outlined in other places in Scripture. So that's how the church is called to respond, is to submit to godly, Christ-centered leadership. Secondly, the church responds by being humble with one another. He says, clothe, your, clothe yourselves, all of you, meaning young and old, elder and lay person, like every single person, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble submission to godly leadership and humble, humble attitudes toward one another. We're called to clothe ourselves with humility, it says. Like wear hu humility like clothing. Like that's what people should see. Just as I can look out and see all your very nice Mother's Day outfits today. Like people should see humility exuding out of us. That's what they should look at. Why? Because that's what Jesus did. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. He was in the form of God, but he didn't consider equality with God a thing to be grasped. He made himself nothing. He humbled himself, taking on the form of a servant. The church should be humble, and it was our humility towards one another. That's when we give grace toward each other that we don't deserve. That's when we love one another unconditionally from a pure heart. But it starts with clothing ourselves with humility. Our church should be humble. This is what we're called to be. It's definitely not flashy, right? It's not making big waves. It's not like designed to like have just a whole bunch of people look at us and say, whoa, right? I mean, and, that, and that's not what we want, right? Our desire as a church is not for the community to say, whoa, look at Rock Prairie. They're amazing, right? Our desire is to live in such a way that the community looks at us and say, wow, that God that they worship must be amazing, that's what we want. We're not drawing attention to ourselves. We're drawing attention to our creator. We have this treasure, God, in jars of clay, us, to show that the surpassing power belongs to him and not to us. This is how God designed it. Healthy leadership, building up through God's word a healthy flock, leading in a healthy, God-honoring way, resulting in healthy submission by the flock and a beautiful, healthy humility towards one another. You see what we're looking for? 
That's the kind of church that I want to be. Is that the kind of church that you want to be, Rock Prairie? Amen. You know what? We definitely can't do that without God's help. We are desperate for him. We need him to do that in this place. So let's pray and let's ask the Lord to help us be that kind of church. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the way that you use it to build us up, God. Thank you for the way that you've designed the church and for the privilege it is to be a under-shepherd of your flock, God. My shepherding is temporary. Yours is eternal. And it is a privilege to be in this place, God. We thank you. God, I pray that we would be the kind of church that reflects you first and foremost. Wouldn't be about us at all. It would only be about the grace that we have in Jesus Christ, the beauty of our Savior who gave himself, he gave his life so that we could live, Lord. If there's anyone in here this morning who doesn't know you, I pray that they would know the incredible freedom that is found in Christ Jesus and a life seeking after Christ wholeheartedly, God. This world puts a whole bunch of temporary pleasures up in front of us and says, once you get this, you'll be happy. Once you get this, you'll be happy. And every time we reach those things, we're never satisfied, God, because we were created for more. We were created for you. Lord, if there's anyone in here who does not know the beauty of a relationship with you, I pray that they would know that today, God. Do a mighty work. Do a mighty work in our church, Lord. We thank you for your faithfulness. All we can do is look back on 150-odd years and just say thank you for your faithfulness in this place, God, in this community, among these people. Thank you for the legacy of faith. Pray that our hearts would honor you, God, and give you all the glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name.